Good morning, guys. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here today. For those of you that are joining us live, uh, Phil is uh, coming to us remotely from Fairhope, and Jeff uh, Cook is in the command center of his uh, house, putting us all together. Uh, thank you, Jeff and Jeff, for making this happen, and Chris for your diligence work every week preparing our list. You guys, if you don't have the handout, uh, when you logged on just before, uh, just above the link to join the meeting was the link for the handout. Be sure and go click on it and download it, uh, print it, and uh, use it as we go along through uh, today's lesson. With this being uh, the seventh of the seven series, seven mini, seven part mini series, I'll get this out in a minute, seven part mini series of Into the Wilderness being in the wilderness with seven men within the Bible. Uh, Phil reminded me before we joined that uh, we will not be meeting next week. I want to remind you of that. It will be Thanksgiving. We certainly hope that you're with family and friends and uh, enjoying that time alone as we have for the last eight or nine months in the wilderness. Uh, great news. When we return, Phil will start a Christmas series as he normally does, uh, and it will be a series of Christmas in the wilderness. It just seems we cannot get out. So, no meeting next week, but we will return the following week and do Christmas in the wilderness. You know, we were chatting just a little bit uh, before we before we uh, uh, we got the meeting kicked off, and we're talking about traditions. Man, isn't this a year to take traditions as we've known them most recently, maybe, and flip them upside down? Even Phil said, well, he was just going to sit around and watch uh, Charlie Brown and the Peanuts. And uh, Jeff spoke up and said, well, you know, CBS sold the rights to that to Apple. So if you're going to watch it, you've got to watch it on Apple TV. But maybe uh, PBS has picked it up and, and we can still do something as simple as watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and uh, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Guys, uh, we had a... I say we because I was able to participate a little bit last weekend, one of the most successful deer camps ever. And I say that, uh, I know Phil always says it's, you know, it's the greatest one ever, greatest one ever. Well, our brother Tim Atkinson and his two sons, a stepson and brother joined uh, the group for the weekend. And several of us who were old timers were able to go up on Saturday and spend some time with him. And it was a great, great weekend. Um, men opened hearts, men found community, they found security. They were able to reveal their true selves and they were able to be loved and received by a group of men. Isn't that what this is about? Two things, two things that we focus on. Learning about Christ, learning how to survive in this wilderness and looking for our eternal father where we will spend eternity. If you haven't made that decision, haven't gotten there, I encourage you to keep digging. Keep digging. Let me help us with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for the technology that you've allowed us to be able to utilize to uh, gather these men together and do some teaching this morning. We thank you so much for Phil, for his preparedness each week and for the message he brings. Lord, I ask that you would anoint him and anoint those that are here this morning. Cover us with your blessings. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. And Jeff, you can uh, uh, hear me? Am yeah, I unmuted? You're, you're okay, good. very good. 
Guys, I'm going to stay seated by the fire this morning. It's a little chilly, uh, at least for our uh, introductory song. Uh, but it is a beautiful morning in uh, Fairhope and uh, looking forward to our uh, time together. Thank you for being here. Um, as Joe said, um, today is our last day in this uh, series that we started in January uh, into the wilderness and, and then the kind of the um, going through seven men uh, who've been in the wilderness. And um, I was thinking about this and kind of ending our playlist. You know, we started a playlist that is on uh, Spotify and we put all of our songs that we've uh, started out with. And um, this song uh, has to be on there. It's uh, uh, a form of Amazing Grace by uh, Chris Tomlin. Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. Um, so you'll recognize uh, the familiar lines in, in um, Amazing Grace, and then Chris Tomlin and his creativity um, has added some um, beautiful words to help us understand what God has done for us. I want to read just a portion of the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. May you hear the voice of God, and may he open our hearts to what he has for us this morning.
Yeah, you need to unmute, Phil. How about that? Is that That's good? perfect. Yep, there you go. Okay. All right. Wow, uh, gentlemen, I um, I apologize that I that I uh, forgot to tell you when we played the song that the clips in that video is from the movie Amazing Grace, which details the life of William Wilberforce. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, this morning, even about. Um, Wilberforce um, um, in our session, but uh, great movie. Um, during the holidays, if you're looking for a, a movie to watch with your family, I would strongly suggest uh, that that's a good one. William Wilberforce, Amazing Grace. Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Uh, we continue our uh, journey into the wilderness. So follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of our life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal. Yes, they are. But God is powerfully at work today in the wilderness seasons of our lives. 
The only question is, do we have eyes to see it in order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us, he brings us through the willingness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, God's provision, and God's preparation. We might even wonder how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus, he went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Now, let's continue our journey together this morning. And this morning, uh, as we look at these seven men, kind of our mini-series in the big series, seven men who face the wilderness, how could we not look at John the Baptist, the voice crying in the wilderness? So that's what we're going to do. Um, and then along with John the Baptist, we're going to take a look at Chuck Colson um, this morning. So John the Baptist, let's go to work, pick up your pen. And let's do some journaling this morning. So I have three questions for you that I want you to consider. Question number one, who helps you every day to live the life you want? Who? I didn't say what. I said who. Who? I want you to think about that for a minute. Who helps you every day to live the life that you want? Who inspires you? Who motivates you? Who loves you? Who? What, why do you do this that you do? Go to work every day? Um... I think it takes a who. Um, it takes a who to make life work. Is it the Grinch that uses that kind of language? As I say that, it takes a who. Uh, Whoville or something like that with the, the Grinch. But guys, um, I think that is the way God has set life up, is that we are relational. And, and we don't do things very well and very long and consistently if it's just because we should or we have to. I mean, some of the greatest pain that I have heard men share is when they lose the who's in their life. Um, divorce, um, death of a child, death of a parent. When you lose a who, it takes a toll on us. And so identify um, your family, friends, a guide, a mentor, a coach, a counselor. I mean, we've got to have a who. And that is what the gospel is about. I mean, I hope you wrote Jesus down and then how Jesus uses men in your life. Um, 
Joe was mentioning um, our deer camp this past weekend, men's coaching weekend, deer camp, 52 guys at Ebenezer Place. Best one ever, Joe. Best one ever. Unbelievable um, at what God did in the lives of men. And uh, we laughed together. We cried together. We worshiped together. Uh, we hurt together. Uh, healing in the hearts of broken men took place. And it was about a who, the who of Jesus and the who of community, men caring for one another. So question number two, who are you? Write that out. Who are you? This morning, today, who are you? An employee? What happens when you lose your job? Then who are you? Who are you? And I would say, you know, I, I hope what comes to your mind is that you can say, I am a broken man redeemed by the Lord Jesus. I'm a beloved son. I am forgiven. I'm headed toward the kingdom. I'm living in the kingdom now. May his kingdom come and increase. Who are you? That's part of daily journaling of just affirming who we are. It's so important. So important. I talked to um, uh, men and women and couples every day consistently that are lost in terms of who they are because there's so much chaos in their life. That question's critical. Who are you? I'm a broken man, redeemed by the Lord Jesus. And then thirdly, who do you know that's in the wilderness? And we all are, and we have a great opportunity this morning to gain perspective and learn from a man who faced the wilderness in a very dynamic way. And his name was John the Baptist. So please turn over with me to Matthew chapter 3, and let's join John the Baptist in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 3. There's a 30-year um, silence, uh, basically, between the end of chapter 2, where we see Jesus in the temple, um, uh, roughly 20 years or so there, um, until Jesus is an adult. And we begin with chapter 3 of Matthew. While Jesus was living in the Galilean hill, hills, John, called the baptizer, was preaching in the desert country of Judea. Now, in your study Bible, it says he was preaching in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. Isn't that interesting that God kind of starts um, this critical, uh, dynamic part of his redemptive story of bringing Jesus into the picture uh, for us with a wilderness scene? of John the Baptist. His message was simple and austere, like his desert surroundings. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. Again, he's saying in the study Bible, 
repent, do a 180, stop going east and go west, stop going north and go south, 180, change. And John's, and his message was authorized by Isaiah's prophecy, and he quotes uh, at this point Isaiah 40, verse 3. Thunder in the desert, thunder in the desert. <laughs> I love that. that. I mean, what a metaphor. John the Baptist, thunder in the desert. Prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. Again, can you imagine uh, the, the dynamic words of Isaiah, thunder in the desert? When was the last time uh, that you could imagine hearing thunder in the desert? It doesn't rain a whole lot in the desert. But man, when you hear thunder in the desert, that's dynamic. And that was the voice of John the Baptist. John dressed in camel hair uh, habit, tied at the waist by a leather strap. You never see his picture in GQ. He lived on a diet of locusts and wild field honey. Um, people poured out of Jerusalem, Judea, and the Jordanian countryside to hear and see him in action. There at the Jordan River, those who came to confess their sins were baptized into a changed life. Repentance, change, I want something different. John the Baptist had a message that gave them hope. And when John realized that a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience because it was becoming the popular thing to do, <laughs> you know, the religious leaders that Jesus hammered, those that thought that they were above repentance and genuinely bowing their knee, uh, Jesus hammered. And it was these Pharisees and Sadducees that showed up on the riverside. And John exploded, brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to make any difference? It's your life that must change. It's your life. It's not your status. It's not being a part of this uh, movement of uh, people getting baptized. He's pointing once again, as Jesus always did, to their hearts. To their hearts. Something deeper has got to happen. It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham is father. Being a descendant of Abraham is neither here nor there. Man, it, it's a wonder that they just didn't kill John the Baptist at that point. Can you imagine being so proud uh, to be a Jew? To, uh, to be of any racial nationality, you're proud of that. And there's this idiot out here uh, dressed uh, like some creepy guy in the wilderness, like a Halloween party gone bad, saying, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What counts is your life. What counts is your life. Is it green and flourishing? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. Wow. Strong language. Strong language. I'm baptizing you in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. What does that really mean? You know, stop for just a minute and think about that. 
Jesus kept saying that we have got to be so committed to kingdom living that it, our love for God uh, compared to our love for our father and our mother and our brothers looks like hate. He said that. And it's like sometimes that those families and those family relationships, sometimes we need to have more separation and boundaries there because it is inhibiting us and prohibiting us from moving into the life that God gives us. It's kingdom family. Kingdom family. Turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama compared to him, I'm a mere, uh, a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. And so again, here's where John the Baptist begins to point to Jesus, to point to somebody greater than him. He wants the focus off of him and points it into the one that he's ushering in. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. I love that imagery. So John the Baptist, what do we see? What do we see? First of all, what we see is God speaks. He's always speaking. He's speaking to us right now through his word. And, you know, we're hunkered down. You're, you're in your bedroom, your office, uh, wherever you are. God speaks. And through John, the people realize that God is speaking to them again. I mean, it had been years, and they're a little bit confused because there's such authority in God speaking. They don't know, is this Elijah? Uh, is this the suffering prophet? Is this the Messiah? Who is this guy, John the Baptist? But the, but, but the main point is God speaking. And even the religious guys are coming out to the river, coming out into the wilderness, because there's such an uproar of what's happening in John the Baptist's life and ministry. And the, and the second thing, you know, that we see is God keeps his promise, promise kept, years of silence, years of silence. When is the Messiah coming? Has God turned his back? But once again, thunder in the desert. I love that. Thunder in the desert. Uh, used to be an old uh, movie, Thunder Road. Love that. Uh, thunder in the desert. John is the ultimate realization of Isaiah 40, verse 3, because he sets the stage for the Lord's favor to come to the exiles. Jesus is the way through which God will come, and John is ushering that in. God keeps his promises. Man, God speaks. God's promises are kept. And then once again, what we see in John is he points to Jesus. He points to Jesus, points to Jesus. 
Um, man, may we learn from the life of John, John the Baptist, really believing that God speaks, even when it seems like we're in this wilderness place and he's on vacation permanently. He keeps his promises. We can be anchored in that. And then all that we do and all that we say needs to point to Jesus. I you to turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. And, and the Apostle Paul um, says to a young pastor uh, in his own words, this idea of pointing to Jesus in a fresh way. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Jeff's got the ver verses up there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and, and we'll jump down to verse 4. He wants not only us, but everyone saved, you know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned, that there's one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and us. That's the Messiah. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin, to set them all free. Why did Jesus come? Not to die for our sins. That's what he did, of course. But why he came was to set us free. Eventually, the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work. Getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. All that we do at Men's Roundtable, all that we do in our personal lives, in your life, in my life, I hope it points to Jesus in some way. That's the purpose of our life. That's the calling of our life. We, we don't all go to seminary or become pastors, whatever, but it's like our lives are point to Jesus. And so, what are the lessons that we learn from John the Baptist? Now, another scene in the, light, in the life of John the Baptist is found in Luke 7. So I want you to flip over to Luke 7. And this is an interesting uh, part of, Luke's, uh, of, of John the Baptist's life in that um, he's thrown in prison. Uh, the religious leaders finally had had enough of him. He was stirring up too much, gaining too much popularity. So he's in prison. Now, again, imagine that John the Baptist, he is committed. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough in my faith now to where I've seen so many godly men who were committed fall to the wayside. I remember coming on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ in 1976. That was a long time ago. And uh, I was fresh out of the University of Tennessee, and Lauren Lillistrand uh, was speaking uh, in this uh, outdoor uh, forum um, at uh, Campus Crusade headquarters um, in San Bernardino, California. And I'll, and I'll never forget, it, it was just such a moment of uh, uh, reality when he said, he looked out over, and there, were most, there was probably 700 of us, and he looks out over that um, uh, open air uh, chapel forum 
um, amphitheater, and he says, many of you uh, will not continue your walk with God. You will fall away. It will be tough. What you're signing up for will be tough. And man, I'm thinking, no, that's not going to happen. I certainly didn't want it to happen to me. But as the years have gone by, man, the stories that I've heard about friends that I made that have fallen away and all kinds of hardship. And, and so Luke finds himself, I mean, um, John the Baptist, uh, Luke details, finds himself in prison. And he's confused what's happening here. So Luke 7 says this in verse 18. John's disciples, uh, again, uh, uh, John's in prison, and he tells his disciples to go and find out from Jesus if Jesus really is the Messiah. And so John's disciples reported back to him the news of all these events taking place. He sent two of them to the master to ask the question, are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? And the men showed up before Jesus and said, John the baptizer sent us to ask you, are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? Are you or aren't you? In the next two or three hours, Jesus healed many from disease, distress, and evil spirits. Two or three hours. Boom, boom, boom. Wow. 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 To many of the blind, he gave the gift of sight. Then he gave his answer, go back after all this healing. You see that? You see that? You see that? Go back and tell John what you've just seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth have God's salvation, hospitality extended to them. Is this what you were expecting? then count yourselves fortunate. Wow. See, the people, along with John the Baptist, or the people, they didn't know if John the Baptist was Elijah, the, pro uh, uh, the prophet, the suffering prophet, or the Messiah. The priests asked John the Baptist if he was one of the three. Which one are you, Elijah, the suffering prophet, or the conquering Messiah? And there's always need for clarity. We always need clarity. See, part of the teaching at that time, even for John the Baptist, is that there, was, there would be two Messiahs. Um, and it was erroneous teaching. There would be the suffering prophet, but there would also be the conquering Christ. And of course, when they thought of the conquering Christ, you know, he would be, he'd come in, he would defeat the, uh, the Romans, he would set up his kingdom, earthly kingdom. You know, there would be political and uh, religious harmony, all of that. And so it, there was just a lot of pieces until John's disciples go and ask Jesus. And at that point, Jesus says, um, through his actions, go back and tell John the Baptist, I 
am the Messiah. I'm not only the suffering prophet, but I'm the conquering Christ. I'm the conquering Messiah. So he took that erroneous uh, double teaching and put it together, and he basically said to John the Baptist, I'm both. I'm both. I'm both. Who are you? Isn't that the question that we all need to be asking? It was asked to John the Baptist, who are you? Who are you? Very important question to answer. And then it's appropriate to have clarity. So from, from John the Baptist's life, I would say the, this is the lesson. Our doubts and our moments of confusion can be swallowed up in being clear on who Jesus is. I've had doubts, especially when things don't seem to be working out. I mean, here's John the Baptist. I mean, he's preaching. People are coming. People are being healed, changed. There's great revival breaking out on the riverbank. And he winds up in prison. It's just like, wow, this didn't exactly work out the way I thought it would. Ever been there? <laughs> we all have. You know, 2020 has not quite worked out the way we thought it would in any way, shape, or form. All of us have been um, uniquely challenged. And, and in that challenge, there can be great confusion. I mean, I've, I've, I, I've talked to men uh, who have been a part of rigid religious backgrounds. And they turn out to completely deny God and claim to be an atheist because of the rigidity. And they reject that which is truth as a way to try to get away from the rigidity. I've sat with men that way. John the Baptist had great doubt and confusion. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving us a man who is a model to us of faith, who struggled with doubt and confusion. Me too. Me too. And yet in this doubt and confusion, we can know Jesus. We can know Jesus. And... We can know who we are. And I think John the Baptist had great clarity when he understood who Jesus was. And then he got clear then on who he was. He was the man who would usher in Jesus. He had greater clarity. Now, I want to show you a clip from another great man. Again, who's your who? Uh, and one of the who's in my life is Chuck Colson. And uh, again, he's detailed in, um, as the seventh man in Eric Metaxas's book that we've kind of been um, using. I want you to watch this clip. I had the privilege of meeting Chuck Colson on several occasions and uh, sitting with him, one of the great uh, honors of my life, godly man, Chuck Colson. Watch this. I have watched with a very heavy heart the country I love being torn apart by the most divisive and bitter controversy in our nation's history. If this is to be a government of laws and not of men, 
then those men entrusted with enforcing the laws must be held to account for the natural consequences of their own actions. And not only is it morally right that I plead to this charge, but I fervently hope that this case will serve to prevent similar abuses in the future. was a driven guy. I had grown up in the Depression years where I saw neighbors standing in bread lines. I was going to get to the top no matter what, no matter what, because I wasn't going to ever be caught in the position that I saw my parents in. I won't say I didn't have a conscience, I did. Uh, I had a, almost a self-righteousness about me. Self-righteousness is the worst enemy of all because you can't see your own sins. I ended up going to prison because of that. I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. I can work for the Lord in prison or out of prison. That's how I want to spend my life. I discovered they're all like I am. I suddenly realized I'm not any different than these guys. I'm not any better than these guys. I committed a crime too, mine was, you know, nobody got killed, but uh, we both prisoners, we had that common. I want to stop crime, but I want to stop it by the only way it'll ever be stopped, and that's changing the human heart. The problem is not education, the problem is not poverty, the problem is not race, the problem is the breakdown of moral values in American life. Exactly right. And the criminal justice system can't respond. I came to love men, I came to know them as brothers, men that before in my life I'd have gone to any lengths to avoid meeting or being with. But above all, I saw the miracle of how God works in the life of man. I can, I can tell you that this has given me a new understanding on how to live the second half of my life. And not with the, with the understanding of what I can get or what I can attain in life. The first time I met Chuck Colson, I was in state-issued clothes in prison. And he shook my hand and told me that there's a different way to live, that there's a, a path that I must take. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Is the, the hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or, or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life. It's hard for me to get through Amazing Grace without shedding a tear or two, and especially in a prison, because it's the prisoner's national anthem. And I've never been in a prison and sung that and haven't seen eyes glistening in the light. Uh, it's so meaningful. I once was lost. They're lost in that prison. Now I'm found.
We were holding hands singing that, and all I could think of was what God has done, and how great it is that he has given us the privilege over 35 years of singing that song inside prisons all over the world. And all I could think of was all the places I've been and all the prisoners I've seen and all the people without hope. And you can join the hands. It was one, it was solidarity. It was a, we were one with them and they were one with us and we all knew it in that room. And my mind just kept flashing over the sovereignty of God because I didn't do this. I never strategized this. It wasn't part of my game plan when I got out of prison. I might do it for a while to help the inmates, but I wasn't going to spend my life doing this. And yet God ordered my steps every moment, day by day. All right. Can you hear me, Jeff? Yep, good? you're good. You're good. Wow. Who, who inspires you? Who encourages you? Who loves you? Who has God given to you and to me to point us to Jesus? John the Baptist. Lessons learned. I want to just close off our, our time with two quotes from Chuck Colson, one having to do with Jesus. We need a who that points us to Jesus. Chuck Colson said this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Jesus. Thank you, Chuck Colson. And then knowing yourself, I'm a broken man. I've seen God use my failures and my brokenness much, much more than I've seen him use my gifts. And we all have gifts, but it is our broken stories that give testimony to God's redemption and healing that brings most glory to him. It's in our weakness that his power is perfected once again, our self understood through a quote by Chuck Colson. Let me read it. Uh, Chuck Colson says this, but all at once I realized that it was my, not my success God had used to enable me to help those in this prison or in hundreds of others just like it. My life of success was not what made this morning so glorious. All my achievements meant nothing in God's economy. No, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one thing in which I could not glory for his glory, unquote.
Guys, so powerful to be in a place of wilderness that brings humility and humanity to our lives. We can't control it. We can't make it better. And yet, through men like John the Baptist and Chuck Colson, we are directed toward, first of all, just accepting our doubts and our confusion and our fears. We all have them. But there is one who understands us, and his name is Jesus. And when I understand myself in the shadow of Jesus and in the face of Jesus, I am alive with hope. And I belong to a, the family of God, and my citizenship is in heaven. May you resonate with that uh, this week and next week. Enjoy uh, time with your friends and family at Thanksgiving next week, and I uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I just say thank you. Thank you for men in my life that have pointed me to you. Thank you for sending Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Great two weeks. See you in two weeks.